This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, I'm Nicole. And I'm Amanda. We wanted to tell you about Change Lab, a long-form interview podcast that explores the transformative power of creativity. Hosted by Lauren M. Buckman, the show is produced by Art Center College of Design, a global leader in art and design education. As Lauren discusses in his new book, Make to Know, and as his guests confirm, creativity is not a matter of instant enlightenment. Rather, it's a process of braving the unknown and route to knowing what it is that we're meant to make. This ninth season lineup includes interviews with author Amy Bender, visual artist Anne Hamilton, Whirlpool design chief Tisha Johnson, Lincoln Park performer and illustrator Mike Shinoda, and pioneering installation artist Diana Thader. Change Lab shines a spotlight on the little and big dramas that comprise the artistic life of people who can't help but make something where before there was nothing. Subscribe, listen, and enjoy Change Lab wherever you listen to podcasts. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, Nicole and I are interviewing a special guest who is Baltimore-based artist Katie Pumphrey, who also happens to be one of our dear friends. Katie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. I feel like we've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, and Katie, you and I have known each other for a number of years, and we've been getting together and talking about art and then of course through the pandemic just like DMing like crazy about you know whatever we're going through from art to COVID to trying to navigate our you know lives and businesses and stay sane and normal um so I'm really excited yeah (laughs) I'm really excited to finally get a chance to record an interview with you and I feel like it's great timing we're getting towards the end of the year you just wrapped up putting your show out. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, your show will probably actually be over, but it's open right now as of recording. True. Yes. Until January 9th. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And Katie, I feel like I've gotten to know you much better in the years post Micah, but I've also been following your work from afar for a long time. And I think I actually met you or I remember seeing some of your work up at the Creative Alliance when you were an artist in residence there. So it's been really fun to follow your journey on social media um, since I moved out to San Francisco. And Amanda and I just had the opportunity to visit your studio this past summer when we were together for the first time in years, which we were just kind of talking behind the scenes. I think this was our first in-person studio visit with a podcast guest with the two of us together. I'm honored, truly. And it was amazing. And the slow motion video we took in front of my studio fan was perfection. And I will send that to you. We will share. <laughs> oh my gosh. I forgot yes, about I that. forgot about that. But I don't know how I could ever forget about that because it's... I mean, it's, it was perfect. It <laughs> yeah. Do you want to start us off by kind of walking us through your creative journey thus far, like letting us know about your school experience, work experience, kind of background with art, um, 
and kind of up to where you are now. You know, just your life story thus far. Yeah, just, yeah, I'll sum it up. (laughs) Uh, So um, the best way I would sum up my entire life story is that I was always into art, pretty much like all of growing up, uh, very into art. Um, Although I was super focused on swimming, Um, I swam uh, year round on a club team until high school and then then was super into high school sports. But like art was kind of one of those things I always knew, I'm going to get to that come time for college. So I didn't, I, I didn't do a ton of art, like you know, clubs or anything growing up, really until high school. But like when I would play the game, the board game Life, you know, and you, you had to like pick your career, I would always pick the artist. So I was very like, I knew what I was up to. I knew what I was going to do. Um, plus in that game, you drove a, a Volvo station wagon, which was my very first car. So, you know, it's very telling. Anyway, so then, um, yeah, through high school, got more and more into art and uh, was in love with Micah, where we all went, um, here in Baltimore, and so went to MICA, was lucky enough to study with amazing painters and great professors. And yeah, painting was always my, my go-to, my, my first love of art, and will forever be. Um, so after MICA, I uh, kept painting. That was priority number one. I wanted to get a studio, and I wanted it to be large enough to continue painting large. So while a lot of friends moved to cities where... All I could afford was a tiny studio. I was like, nope, I'm going to stay here in Baltimore because I love this city and because I can actually afford a workspace large enough to keep making big work. So after after college, I kind of just did whatever I needed to do to pay the bills. I was a lifeguard. I taught water aerobics, which was very fun. Nice. I coached. Uh, I got really into coaching swimming, which I did for several years. Um, I also taught in some after-school programs. You know, I... I Lots of part-time jobs, which I always call the part-time shuffle, but all the while still making work. But it was definitely hard to make work right after school. So it took me a few years to really kind of find my footing with that. And part of that was I applied to the Creative Alliance, which Nicole mentioned earlier. So I was an artist in residence at the Creative Alliance, and that was really like a huge stepping stone. So I was a resident artist there 2011 to 2014. Oh, wow. um, Which is an awesome residency program. Everyone should look into it. It's a live-work space. You still pay rent, but it's definitely um, more affordable for what you get. Um, it's a live-work space, so you have like this awesome studio space and then you know a great living space. But you're in an art center, which is a very unique experience. So I think because of that place, I, I mean, I would really attribute the Creative Alliance to kind of launching me in a more in the professional direction I wanted to go. So I really started sh- sh- like selling a lot more, showing a lot more, met a lot of artists that I didn't know um, in Baltimore, in addition to lots of other artists from around the country, because it is open to everyone, and international artists as well. Uh, so it was, it was a really stellar program that I truly love. And if you're in Baltimore, you should visit it anyway, even if you don't want to live there. <laughs> um, so after that, um, I was still coaching swimming. I was a like year-round club coach um, for a long time, which I truly love coaching. And I really thought that I would always be doing that, but I kind of started to see a path towards being a full-time artist and making my living, you know, 100% that way. So really 2015, I kind of started seeing that path open up a little bit and I didn't have a ton of savings or any at all, but I saw a little bit of a path to kind of make a leap for it. Um, Partly because it was like January of, of, of 2015 and I knew I was going to be coaching a summer swim team. So I knew I had like from January to May to kind of see, okay, can I do this? Let's find out. So made that leap. It was awesome. You know, I think being a full-time artist is like a forever changing roller coaster. 
Um, yeah. it, it never quite, it never quite circles around to the same ride, but, uh, yeah. I'm really glad I made the leap. That was also the same year that I swam the English channel. So it was a big, big giant year of leaps. And, uh, so ever since then I've been riding that ride and, uh, it's been, you know, some years are really great and some years I feel like I have a handle on it. And then some years are a lot tougher and, um, the ways that I solve those tougher problems just is different every time. And I have, I've developed some go-to moves to kind of figure out how to get the wheels turning, but it's definitely a unique job we have. <laughs> I think that kind of sums it up. So yeah, I've been full-time since then and I'm a big fan of it. It's a really weird, hard job, but I'm, I really like it. I don't know if we mentioned earlier, but Katie is a long distance swimmer and incredible swimmer and has Swam the English Channel multiple times. Just the one, just the one. But other swims. Are you preparing for yeah. another one? Yeah. So I'm, I'm. Oh, maybe that's why I thought that. Yeah. So I've done, I've done a handful of channel swims. Uh, which yes, and being an ultra marathon open water swimmer, uh, definitely goes hand in hand with my work and uh, how I navigate through it. Um, and definitely my schedule is hugely impacted by training and and those plans. But yeah, so I swim the English Channel. 2015, handful of other kind of channel swims since then, and I'm training to do it again because it's awesome and I love it. Amazing. <laughs> I feel like we need to sing your praises as a swimmer in addition to an artist because that's just such an incredible feat to do that, and I'm, I'm sure it impacts your work in ways that we'll get into, but um, yeah, that's amazing. I was going to make a terrible pun and be like, so do we want to dive into talking about swimming? But uh, I have already done that now, so I'm really sorry that we all I mean, had to hear yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I also have a love for puns. Which is why we are friends. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Among other reasons, but yes. And well, that's why you get along so well. <laughs> I, make, I make so many swimming puns without even recognizing it, like, all the time. And people think I'm trying to be funny, and I'm like, oh, no, I just, like, have such a... I, it's just my vocabulary is always underwater. So <laughs> see what I did? Yes. Oh, so good. I was also going to say it's interesting to hear you talk about your uh, experience at Creative Alliance um, residency because I had a somewhat similar experience uh, with a long-term residency at a place called Creative Paradox in Annapolis, Maryland. That unfortunately is no longer around, but I think having a program that was sort of integrated into my work life just out of art school really helped me to develop a studio routine outside of the academic environment. And I really credit that too as being a kind of a springboard to, uh, you know, what it would be like to kind of have a, a studio practice um, outside of our college. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about that similar experience. And it's kind of made me think about, you know, other emerging artists who might be getting ready to graduate, um, if there are chances to seek that out, because I feel like a lot of artist residencies tend to be sort of the opposite. They're often short term, like several weeks or several months at the most, where you're kind of, you know, going away retreat style, and you have this time to really intensively focus on your work. Um, but there is something to be said for something that's a little bit more kind of integrated into your daily life. Yeah, I, and I think partly why I, I mean, there's a million reasons why I loved it. But I think part of what was super helpful was that I still, you still have to pay rent. So, you know, I, like, we all still had, you know, some kind of combination of jobs, you know, or there were artists there that had, had already made that leap into full time and were doing it, you know, already. But I think it, 
yeah, it doesn't feel detached. There's no like break, you know, from like, cause like other residencies, yeah, it's kind of like you put your life on pause, go work out some stuff and then come back and like debrief from it. But that, I think also that my fellow resident artists were also just my neighbors, you know, or the staff that ran the Creative Alliance also felt a little bit like my, you know, community, you know, network and like landlord, but in a nice lovely way, not in a negative landlord way. <laughs> um, which I think was like, you know, I think a lot of people after undergrad want to go to grad school, I mean, for a million reasons, but also kind of to delay a little bit of like reality and how to, how to approach the scariness mm-hmm. of that. Um, you know, so you're exploring your, like your work and making leaps within that kind of safe ac- academic world. And I, I honestly think it's like, if you, if you, aren't interested in an MFA or aren't interested in more student loans or kind of just like the little bubble that that creates, I think a longer term, especially live work, but even just a studio-based residency program, I think is really a solid way to go. And I think it was also really helpful that all of those artists were at different points in their career and different ages and from different places. And it truly was great. So I, I, I really recommend it. Yeah, I'm curious what other ways that maybe laid the foundation for this path towards becoming a full-time artist, if this was a goal that you sort of had from the beginning, or if that experience at Creative Alliance, being around other full-time working artists helped to shape your idea of what that would look like, or just what some of the ways were that you were beginning to um, kind of develop this path forward? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely did not think that being a full-time artist was an option. Yeah, Sorry, I asked that because I think, um, you know, we all went to art school and yet it didn't seem like there were a lot of um, examples of that, um, right. interestingly. And um, so we didn't really have, I think, a frame of reference for that being a possibility either. Right. And in some ways, I it boggles my mind that that wasn't an option of the goals. It wasn't that it wasn't, but it was like keep banging work and do whatever you need to do to keep doing it. But the idea that artists can support themselves and... I know. I think there's also like the whole starving artist thing shoved down our throats from a million other different societal directions. So I really thought that wasn't reality. Um, and as I kind of saw that path opening up or, you know, ways to, to try it out, I, I, I kept having to tell myself like, this isn't crazy. This isn't, you know, it's not irresponsible. It's not, you know, in a worst case scenario, I get another job, you know, that's not terrible. Mm-hmm. So but I, but I, now, like talking with current MICA students or when I have interns from MICA, I think I always kind of lay out that there is no one way to be an artist. There's no one way to be a full-time artist. And every artist business looks completely different. And every year it tends to look different. So even within your own business, it's different. Yeah. But in that way, it's like, you should be, de- like we should all be developing and gathering as many tools as possible so that we're ready to kind of approach every year and uh, situation as it comes. But that's what I wish art school would have prepared me for. And in some ways it did, because I think MICA and a lot of art schools and undergrad programs are all about problem solving and, you know, engaging your network and figuring out ways to create your network network if you don't have one. But now I think as there's, yeah, I just think, I hope that more artists that are full-time or working towards it or, you know, maybe they're not full-time, but they're mostly full-time. I just hope that we're all like shouting from the rooftops that it's not crazy and it's very possible. Yeah. And I really appreciate what you said. And I think earlier you had said it as like a carousel. We were not necessarily coming back to the same point. And I feel like that's been a big 
experience I've been learning this year because I I'm not as far along in my journey of being self-employed as you are. So I'm still like, you know, I just have a few years behind me and I'm like, of course, every year is different. I'm growing and I'm or I'm trying to grow. <laughs> but I'm realizing that like a lot of the lessons that I learned in the past are not necessarily helping me with the problems I'm facing in the future. But at the same time, by learning how to problem solve, you you do take those lessons with you, whether they apply to those situations or not. And I think it can feel very daunting when you expect your year to look like the last year and realize that it doesn't and realize that, you know, where your income comes from, how it comes in and, and what your work looks like or your production level or whatever. It's just constantly changing and it's like a, a constant lesson in adaptability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, you know, that I, I would have never described that I am in any ways ahead of you in the way that of like being full time and doing. Oh, this. yeah. I meant like as far as timeline goes, like literal years, right. like you taking the leap before. But I. Uh, no, but I just mean like the, the vantage <laughs> point of looking. I think that's where we all get in trouble. We look at other artists like other than the fact that you are very honest and upfront about like the ups and downs of being a full-time artist, like mm-hmm. I would never know that you feel a similar roller coaster, you know, or that you're still mm-hmm. figuring it out. I feel like a lot of artists, including both of you, you know, go about it in this like seemingly very confident way, which I think we have to be, we have to be like our, I mean, I always say you have to be your own biggest fan. There's no way that you can be a full-time artist without being your biggest fan first because you have to be behind what you're doing otherwise it's going to be a lot harder (laughs) if you're constantly doubting yourself you know so I think that's I mean I think some of that is like the what a lot of people talk about with social media is it it can it can be very easy to feel like everyone else has it figured out when really we're all working it out and you know someone messaged me the other day asking about like applying to calls for entry and I was like oh I like I have stopped applying to as many because it's time and it's money and mostly time and money. Um, Mm -hmm. But also like really heartbreaking to get rejected all the time, which is obviously part of it. And that feels a little less of a sting every time, but it still stings. But um, that, the other artist I was talking to was like shocked that I get rejected so often because she felt that I was so like accomplished and I, which I very much appreciate. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, 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 no. I'm getting like just as many rejections as you are. Like we're all in the same boat. Doesn't, you know, it's just yeah. sometimes the water is smoother and sometimes it's not. <laughs> so I just think it's super yeah. interesting. It's so weird how like social media totally muddles our brains. Because even though you and I talk about the realities of our businesses and our lives and like what we're trying to figure out and what we're struggling with, like we talk about it all the time. And I still will see online. I'm like, Katie's killing it. Kate is thriving in all ways at all times, despite right. the I fact think- that we'll talk about it being different than right. that. Right, or, but- yeah, or, like, hard as fuck. Like, there's just, yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, yes, but the- of course, you can see around this. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, I just think, I don't know, there's even times where all I want to do is talk about the good stuff, but then I'm like, well, but should I also mention that, you know, I just got like five rejections and, you know, mm-hmm. I decided to stop painting for the rest of the day because I deserved it, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there's just times, I don't know, you know. It's hard to yeah. find that balance. Like, how do you, I don't know, and maybe I'm projecting my own fear, but I feel like when I complain openly or when I vent openly, 
it, in my brain, I'm like, this is coming off as complaining. I'm sounding ungrateful. I'm sounding like an asshole. But then I'm like, no, at the same time, like, we have to know everyone gets rejected. We have to know that, like, shit doesn't work for everybody. Right. Or that it spent, like, 40 hours in the studio and all of it's crap. And I'm going to paint over every single one of them. Like, that's all part of it. You know, because yeah. I think, and I think especially when we, like, you know, there's a thousand artists that I, you know, admire and, and love following. And sometimes I don't think that they ever make mistakes, but obviously they do. And obviously they have struggles. Um, so it was also a nice kind of reminder to tell that artist that had reached out to me that was so shocked that I got rejected. And I was like, no, truly. <laughs> I am honored that you think I don't, but we all do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, there's just this constant balance between being honest and self-promotion on social media, I think we all have to wrestle with, especially, you know, it's inherent to the platform, but when you're an artist trying to make a living off of sharing your work, I think that's one way that we do that. So you have to, like you said, be your own biggest advocate and fan, but um, also want to shed light on the realities of it. Or some people do, maybe. I think that's where the maybe misperception comes in around, you know, artists that seem like they're succeeding or excelling all the time is that's just what they're presenting you know mm -hmm. on yeah. of themselves online but um I think what I appreciate about well the way that you share your work Katie and also Amanda I feel like you both are really great about showing up authentically on social media and just making a point to share all the different aspects of your work in life um because it does, it does help to broaden, I think, other people's perspective of what is possible and what the realities of being a full-time working artist are. And I know I learn a lot that way from following other artists who are really open about those things. And so it really does make a difference, I think, even though it can often feel like you're just sort of shouting out into the void. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the be your own biggest fan, like that is one of my mottos. I think partly also because I think the pressures of when things are tough or when that roller coaster is getting especially like scary. You know, I think I always I always think about like be your own biggest fan, support the work you're doing because I don't want to be pressured to. I, I never want to be pressured to change the work I'm doing because of business. You know, I, I never like, and I, and I think that's a very like normal thought that we have of like, oh well, I just sold paintings like that. You know, maybe I should make more of those. Mm. No, never, you know, you should mm -hmm. never do that truly because why well, I always describe the work that being an artist and selling work, the business of being an artist and making the work being an artist. I describe that as driving two cars, which I know I've said this to you before, um, but I love it so much because I think it's perfect because <laughs> in my head it has to like, it's just the way it has to be. But um, I always describe being an artist that's making the work that's the, the career goals you have. You know, for me, I would love my work to hang in public, you know, museums and be seen by anyone at any time. You know, I also want to like my work to keep progressing and challenging myself and, you know, always be like, I want to always be making work that I find exciting and surprising to myself. And so that's one car. That's the work. That's the career goals. That's the, the shows and the yay art. <laughs> that's that car. <laughs> the other car is the business of being an artist. That's the selling, the you know, doing everything that you need to do promotion to gather more collectors and, you know, sell more work so that, yeah, you can pay your bills and eat because those things are important. So I describe them as cars because I think it has this, it's a really good reminder that they can never merge. It's two mm -hmm. cars and they can never like crash into each other. Because if they merge, if you start influencing the work that you're making because of sales, then your cars are going to crash and it's never good. 
But also I like the car idea because it's a reminder that those things don't have to move at the same pace at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I always try to keep my art car moving, but I understand that it might have to slow down in order to work on business a little bit. Same thing with business. It might have to slow down or I have to kind of get the car ahead and then it might, you know, take a little detour over here and a rest stop so that the art can catch up. But they're always, they're always doing something, but they're always, always a part in their own lane. So, but I think if you're your own biggest fan, those things will operate smoother. God, I hate driving the business car, but I feel like I'm driving the business car so much more than I'm driving the art car. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> but, I, but I also think that, I also think that we are the best at driving the business car for ourselves. You know, I mm-hmm. think, and the the more of a network and, you know, a community you have, the better you'll operate your car. But at the end of the day, you still have to do it. And in that way, like advocate for your work and make sure that if you are working with other people to sell your work or galleries or consultants or someone that, you know, that that relationship and partnership is, is what you want in the same way that you would gather your people and network so that you're getting feedback on your work and pushing it in different directions. So those can be like your oil changes and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you got to put together your team of mechanics right. and people that <laughs> keep your car running smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, in you know, I think also the more those cars are separate, the more that you might appreciate the business set car. I mean, it's, I think so many artists are like, don't want to drive that car. Um, mm-hmm. but you have to understand how that car works, <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. And really, I think at the end of the day, like, you are probably the best person to sell your work. And if that means like, communicating as best possible to your team, then that's then that's like, then that's how you sell your work. Um, or you're doing it yourself, you obviously have to be really good at it. So I think I'm always reminding, especially younger artists that are maybe more tempted to merge cars, you know, make the work and then figure figure out how to sell it. They shouldn't dictate each other. Mm, I love that analogy. <laughs> Thanks, me too. I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> I'm really curious to hear more about this um, period when you made this transition into... It sounded like it was a bit of a full-time experiment, like you had some work coming up in the future, but you know, these five or six months where you thought, I'm going to give this a go, and you mentioned some of the signs or indicators that maybe a path was opening up, and I'm just curious what those were. Like, What were some of the signs that you were noticing that made you feel like you might be able to make this leap? Well, really, I think you know, I'd sold, I, w- I was just selling more of everything. And not just like a lot of sales, but like, because I definitely did not have like savings at all. You know, I had, I had enough money to pay rent that month, you know, to pay my bills that month. But like, I had Mm -hmm. to figure out how in the next few weeks to gather the next month. So, but I I definitely started to see, you know, okay, I just sold a big painting a few months ago. Okay. I just sold a handful of smalls. Okay. I have a show coming up. And I think I know how to get collectors in the door or to like engage, you know, engage the collectors that I already have, even though it was a small list at the time. And so I don't, I think it was, you know, January, 2015 when I made that leap. And I just think at that point I had some pots brewing. That's what I usually call it. I'm all about the analogies. <laughs> Clearly. I love it. <laughs> I think I spend a lot of time by myself. Um, but so yeah, pots, pots brewing is what I call like the potential sales or potential, you know, things that are going to, create that potential for sales. And so, you know, some, so really that means that maybe I had a a handful of people that have reached out to me about buying and they, you know, were thinking on it. So some pots are like brewing a lot potentially sooner and some were, you know, take a while. I think the idea that, that a painting, that any artwork sells really quick is, 
I don't know who believes that, but it definitely takes time and lots and lots of emails. And when it does happen quickly, it's like, what? That's crazy. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I think I just had a lot of pots brewing and some potential. I knew what I needed to do, you know, to make the, how much money I needed for the next month. So that was like step number one. And then, you know, can I make a sale that gets me ahead of that? You know, so I'm not just so month to month, even though like, you know, month to month isn't so terrible as as long as you can handle that little bit of stress or a lot of bit of stress. But the longer I've been in this, it it stresses me out a little less. (laughs) That's good to hear. (laughs) And and I will add that while I didn't have savings, I do have uh, a great bit of family and and friends in my corner. So I also know that if I, I also knew within that timeframe that I was making that leap, you know, worst come to worst, I, I knew I could borrow money from family. Um, which not everyone has that. So I do acknowledge that as well. If you have savings when you make that leap, awesome. If you have some people in your corner, that worst case scenario, they can kind of bail you out, awesome. If not, obviously that's a lot harder, but not impossible. There's lots of ways to, to make the leap. Yeah, sometimes just that psychological safety net even is enough to sort of get you through that stressful period of not knowing what's going to happen next. Right. When I, and I think it's, I think some artists want they want like clear directions of what they have to do to make that leap. You know, well, what did you do X, Y, Z, you know, to make that leap? And, and they, this is what I did. I you know, I, I'm telling you my pot's brewing and my thoughts and my, you know, <laughs> kind of figure out how to sell enough. But I think really, again, there is no like tutorial. There's no, um, yeah. cause it kind of all depends on where you're coming from when you make that leap or, you know, even just the way your starting point feels. I think, I think really like how, how you can handle stress is also going to incorporate or going to impact that, uh, leap. Yeah, I think that's so crucial what you pointed out about how it feels to you and something that we've noticed in talking with a lot of artists about, you know, their own trajectories is just the self-awareness component and knowing how you handle stress, you know, how much kind of discomfort or instability you can handle, how much security you feel like you need, how sort of tolerant, you know, of risk are you? And I feel like all of this comes back to just knowing yourself and, you know, knowing what kind of circumstances you need in order to set yourself up to, to feel successful and like you have a purpose and direction. Um, because ultimately it's always going to involve some risk and it's always going to feel a little scary, but I think kind of knowing what you can handle will make that transition a lot smoother. Right. Well, and in so many ways you won't know until you are in it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the times when I've been in a scramble of like, Oh shit, I really need to make a sale. Like, yes, over the past few years, I've kind of developed some, go-to strategies, which isn't that complicated. Usually it's just going back to my original pots, you know, my latest pots brewing list and reach out to people or like at least look down that list of when was the last time I emailed them. I usually have a list of names and contacts and then how we contacted each other. And then I have dates next to it. Like I said, no, no sale is, is immediate. So, you know, some of them have like 17 dates next to it. And we talked then and then they reached out and then I reached out, you know, so I kind of look back of, okay, it's been three weeks. Is it appropriate for me to reach out? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think it all depends on like how you feel with that level of stress, you know. At this point, I feel like I can handle that kind of stress. Like when I'm, oh shit, I need to make a sale right now, you know, in the next three days or whatever. I can handle that stress and still sleep at night. Uh, when I made that leap, that was definitely a lot harder, but you know, a little less scary now. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about getting creative with 
like finding ways to bring money in. And I know you and I have talked about uh, like doing story sales on Instagram and doing payment plans for larger pieces, um, conversations not recorded. So I'd love to talk about those now that we're recording um, to kind of hear about some of your ways of making it possible for people to collect your work and ways that you're hustling when times are are, are tight. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll start with, yeah, like some of those things came from when times were tough. I think the first like flash sale or story sale I ever did on Instagram definitely came from like, all right, I need to make some sales right now. Hopefully I can drum up some interest. And then, you know, they, they started to work. And so, yes, it works. And that was like a solid way to, to get some work out the door and and make some money. But, but what I learned, what was interesting. And so that's why I continue to do them, even when it's not like financially motivated, mm-hmm. um, flash sales, you know, it's like where I'm sending an email to my mailing list, Instagram story sales, all those kind of things. Just remind people of, Oh, Hey, I love her work. I should collect it. Um, so whether they, what I've noticed is that when I do a flash sale, I tend to get emails about other work. That's not about it. That's not included in the flash sale. So, you know, yeah, say yeah. I'm doing a flash sale on like tiny works on paper. It always seems to drum up other sales of like larger work that's not included in that at all, um, mm-hmm. which I love. So I, I think I think a lot of the times artists, we just have to remind people that, hey, you love this thing and you haven't forgotten about it. And hopefully they haven't forgotten about it. You know, like that's the, that's the thing, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just, and I think it's also, I've collected artwork that way a lot more than other than other times um Mm -hmm. you know and 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 I I say the same thing about payment plans because I'm a huge fan of payment plans at all times with any piece and I am like always saying it over and over again that I am down for a payment plan people shouldn't be up because some people get very embarrassed about it and they don't want to ask for it so I always bring it up immediately and I always say I would rather someone do a payment plan than not because well, obviously, I want you to buy the work, but also that's how I've bought most work. Most of the work that I've collected from artists I love, it's through a payment plan because I don't have just like a salt, like a big chunk of money that I can drop down. And I understand that that's the case for most people. But perhaps we all can plan, you know, for one month, you know, one time a month we're making this payment or two times a month. Like basically, you know, I'm willing to take a little bit of money out of my paycheck. That's what people tend to feel comfortable with. And while I don't have a paycheck, you know, as a collector, I can do the same thing. And then, but payment plans, yeah, I love them because for me, it is a paycheck. I, can, I know that I'm getting this much money on this day, next month and the month after. So I really encourage them. And I, and I love that payment plans have allowed a lot of my collectors to buy big work when they said they couldn't afford it um, because they are people that are willing to invest in that kind of work. They're willing to, over time, you know, put down you know, thousands of dollars, but because they, they understand that that's an investment and they see that that as worth it because, mm-hmm. you know, not only do they love that piece and want it in their home or wherever they're putting it, they, they do see it as an investment, um, which I love. And so I really try to remind people of that. <laughs> um, because I don't, yeah, I don't, I stand by my prices and I've really worked, um, I worked hard for my work to be valued at what it's valued at. Um, and so I remind people that, as I work through my goals, you know, in the art car, right, the goals towards where I want my work to be and also the business side, I'm hoping that my work will grow in value, which in there, you know, and then in their case, that's an investment that will continue to grow. So 
but I love that payment plans. A lot of my a lot of my collectors and now like return collectors, but most people that have bought my work, my, my like one of my pieces was their first big art purchase. And I love that, and I love that I've like guided people through that. And so yeah, I think payment plans are awesome. Clearly, I can talk about them forever because I really do think they're great, and I think more people should do it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I know for myself as a human being, I cannot. I'm not in a place where I can drop you know, a few thousand dollars on a painting, but I could totally spread something like that out over time. And it, I think it's a good thing to consider. And I I think a lot of times we are, we're presented these very specific models of like how you can be an artist and what your career can look like and how you sell your work and how you work with galleries and how you have to do this and how you have to do that. And like being able to say like, no, I'm figuring it out. I'm finding ways to make art affordable and, 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 reasonable and accessible and I'm finding ways to like charge what I deserve for my time and for my labor and for my growth and knowledge and experience and like I don't know I love it yeah and I think people I think what I've I've definitely noticed that people some people really some people love a deal they want discounts they want you know no matter what they want me to discount something and there are times where that works and that's cool with everybody and there's times that that's not but there are also people that are like, no, 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 I don't want you to discount it from me. You know, I want you to get what it's worth. And I, and I appreciate that. Often I also remind them that like sometimes discounts within certain moments, it works out. It feels better for everybody, you know, so just go with it. That's where I try to tell people like, just go with what the artist says. Because <laughs> um, I think the more upfront we are about money, the better. I try to tell people that I may work that. Uh, and, and same thing with like payment plans. If suddenly they like, life happens and they can't make a payment I just always remind people to give me a heads up because I understand life but I think yeah I just think there's 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 too many like rules around all this stuff and I just don't I think you can do just make it work just you know talk it out and do what feels good and some you know some people you're gonna feel I don't know yeah I don't know I don't know how to explain what I'm saying Yeah, well, it sounds like there's a lot of experimentation involved in terms of figuring out the best strategies and, you know, different things are going to work differently at different moments in time. And so I love how open you are about that. Um, It also sounds like a lot of this activity is taking place on social media. And I'm curious when it comes to the relationship management aspect of either growing your collector base or just maintaining contact with existing collectors. Um, how much of that is taking place online versus offline? And then have you invested in social media as a tool in terms of, you know, actively trying to grow an audience? Um, just what the relationship is between those? Yeah. Um, I mean, social media, Instagram specifically, has definitely been the biggest way that I connect with people. And so through that, I work I, I really try. I always want my Instagram to feel like me and to feel like what if you're hanging out with me, you know, it's, it's my voice in the way that I would talk to you if you're in my studio. So with that, I try to, like, I always want my Instagram, I always want, even my mailing list, I always want it to feel like, I don't know how I feel about my work, how, that I'm excited about it, that there's times where I have no idea what I'm doing, that there are times where I get very stressed out, like everyone else, but I think there's also, I also try to remind myself of, like, oh, it's just painting, you know, relax, have fun with it. And I, I hope that then that kind of translates into people's approach to collecting my work, that they're a little bit more honest and open to talking about, to talking out the finances or the, you know, the way that they're going to do a payment plan or um, just because I think, I think it can be hard to talk about money in general. Mm -hmm. 
but so I, I don't know. I, I guess the setup of how I like deliver things is is a first. It's a strategy, I guess, but it's also just like I don't know how else to do it. So this is me um, doing it, uh, and I hope that yeah. it's like fun to follow me in the same way that I hope it's fun to hang out with me. It's fun. Thank it's you. Fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so can confirm. Yeah. So, but I think also then when people message me, it's not this like formal, you know, hey, I want to inquire about your painting. You know, we're like sending emojis and memes, and you know, they're like so excited which is what I want. And I, and I think that's, even when someone does email me, it, it, it is that kind of more formal approach. The first thing I always say is like, thank you so much for reaching out. It's great to hear when people connect with my work. You know, like I'm jazzed that you connect with that piece, you know, cause I, cause I, cause I also love it cause it's mine and I made it and I put it out there in the world and here you are connecting with it. So let's be excited about that no matter what. So yeah. And then in, in the same way of kind of like talking out money, I think that just kind of takes down some barriers and then you tend to get to know each other more, which is why I'm pretty proud that a lot of my collectors keep collecting and keep reaching out. Or if they can't collect, they're at least coming to shows and they're sharing the work. And um, I mean, I definitely like to think I'm friends with a lot of my collectors. And I think that just comes from being open and being yourself. And I think that was a little harder when I first started because I thought there had to be this like, I thought I had to be so serious, you know, that like galleries were so, there were so many rules so now I'm like reminding, I don't know, it's even like when I would go to my own opening, I thought I had to dress up. I don't have to dress up. I can wear whatever the fuck I want, <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, <laughs> so, um, I mean, I can also dress up if I want, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> Of course. If I want to wear jeans that are torn and a t-shirt, I'm going to, you know? <laughs> but I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that that was like, yeah, being friends and being friendly and talking stuff out, I think is really the best strategy which is really just be a nice human. It's not that, you know, not that random a strategy. Yeah, well, I think there's a great lesson in here for other artists about just just being yourself. I mean, it seems like you're really setting the tone with how you want people to approach you and communicate with you by how transparent you are about your own work and story. And so I feel like that is reassuring to hear because something that maybe is a little bit intimidating about hopping in the business car is feeling like you have to change some aspect of your personality or, you know, that there's so much writing on the sales or, it, you know, it can feel a little bit more transactional. Mm-hmm. And so I think just humanizing that whole process, recognizing that it's not all about the sale, but, you know, you really are building a relationship, you're building a friendship in some cases, and it's really about letting people into your process. Um, it's just something I'm noticing about the way that you seem to, you know, handle your your whole studio practice and the way that you share that on social media. So I feel like that's a great takeaway for other artists who might feel a little bit intimidated about the, the whole thing. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, yeah, I definitely appreciate hearing that. It's like, I think sometimes, you know, we're, we're like alone in our studios for so long making all these decisions. I think it's just nice to, to talk it out. And I'm, that's why like, I'm always reaching you know, when artists reach out to me or, you know, I think, I just think we should all be talking about this more, but I was going to say something, and then I forgot. Hang on. <laughs> oh, the um, in terms of just approaching it, like, you know, casually and like a person and kind of like not getting too caught up in any formal rules that you thought exist. Um, I, I think about it sometimes, like, uh, so when I go to yoga classes or when I went to yoga classes pre-COVID, when we actually did things like that, I... 
I always gravitated towards the teachers that were more like silly and would you like make pop culture references within class. And, you know, it's just like they, they, they were, they didn't turn on like teacher voice and teacher hat and like became this, that, I don't know, it's just the kind of thing I like, but the teachers that always weren't my jam, other people's jam, you know, go for it, but not mine were the ones that I think would start class. So like five minutes before class, they're like talking about their weekend with somebody and they're talking in this totally normal voice, total normal way. And then the moment class starts, their voice changes completely. Like it's a whole different person. And they're like, okay, now we're going to start class, (laughs) you know? And it's like this whole formal switch. And I just never want to feel that way. (laughs) I want to feel like if you come to my studio, you know, you two beautiful faces (laughs) come to my studio and we talk. I hope that that is a similar experience to when someone else that I don't know comes to my studio. I mean, obviously, I know you more. It's going to be a little different. But you know what I mean? Like, that's, I want it to feel like, I don't know. I, wa- I just want it to feel good. But all of that might have been total crap of an answer. But I, it, was, it was something. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's something to be said about building these very, I don't know, just this will be buzzword, the buzzword word. But buzzwordy, buzz, buzzwordy, like, yes, words. Uh, God, I said that too many times, and then I forgot what the buzzword was. <laughs> it's lost all meaning, though. <laughs> Who let me have a podcast? Who allowed this? Um, no, I think there's something to be said about having these very authentic connections. That was the buzzword, authentic, and just being yourself and not forcing yourself into a very formal way that is unnatural to you just for the sake of the fact that it has been a formal experience in the past or someone told you that's how it should be. I don't know. I mean, I obviously I agree with you. I'm biased on this, but I'm like, yes, I want more like real interactions and more honest experiences and more, just more chill, (laughs) just everything more chill. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if, if any, like, the last, you know, what, almost two years of the pandemic has taught us, I think the more connections we can make, the better. And so I just don't want, I don't want my business connections, you know, the thing that maybe is more over in this business car. Uh, I just don't want that to feel disconnected or, like, you know, at an arm's reach. And part of that, I think, also, the more upfront and honest and real you are with collectors and and clients and people that buy your work I think also then it gets easier to set boundaries when you do run into trouble or you do run into any kind of you know moments that might be more or challenging and so I say that even about galleries or negotiating contracts or commissions or I think the more the more you lay the groundwork of hey I'm a person and we are connecting more more than just because you like this work and it's a product that you're going to take away. But in, in buying it or in hiring me to do a mural or a commission or whatever, you know, you're also supporting me as a person and my career and business and future. And I think the more disconnected and formal we get, the more that that kind of gets lost. And this is transactional experience that probably isn't as rewarding on both sides. So I think that's, I think that's some, I definitely have had some of those experiences and they just never, you know, never as good it's never you know it leaves kind of a weird taste in your mouth so yeah 
Yeah, something I'm also curious about, um, as we've been talking about relationships and um, primarily these kind of direct collector relationships you've built, um, or with other artists, inviting people into your studio, um, but you've also shown your work with a number of different galleries, and so I'm curious to talk a little bit more about that, and is that also something that you've been proactive about seeking out, or you know, has just kind of being open and sharing your work attracted some of these opportunities to you? Um, like, how have you been navigating the gallery side of your practice? Yeah. The gallery side, I think, is always, for me, I think that's been a trickier thing to wrestle. I feel like, especially in the first few years of being, well, being out of school and then the first few years of being full-time, I think it was like any opportunity I thought was awesome. And while there were great parts of it, um, I think I've really learned that galleries that are a good fit are more important than showing with a gallery that's not which seems so obvious, but I think it's, it's hard to tell in the beginning. Um, and I think that's maybe what I mean about being a little more real with people, um, talking out what you want or what they expect or what you expect. You know, there's some saying about expectation being so dangerous because if you don't talk them out, I think, then you're bound to be disappointed or hurt. Or, yeah, I just think it's really important to pick and choose wisely. I mean, I think that even goes to applying for things. Um, I mean, that definitely goes for applying for things, but I think it even goes to the opportunity to say yes to. So I feel like recently in the past few years, I've gotten better at saying no, you know, or, Hey, I appreciate you reaching out, but I just don't think that, you know, it's a good fit or. Yeah. Do you have any examples uh, without getting too specific of experiences you've had where you felt like, you know, maybe there was a misalignment or something wasn't quite the right fit um, just as you've kind of learned and, develop this better sense as as you've gone along yeah I think I think with galleries because I always in the, the sales part of galleries I think of like another pot brewing right so it's great that somebody else is in your corner trying to sell the work <clears throat> and in that way trying to you know, it also get more collectors and more people to follow your work and careers you progress so that's all great but I've learned that galleries are kind of they're they're both cars right like a show is the work and the way that you're putting it out there publicly to be seen in real life. And that's super important to me. I, you know, my work is mostly large scale painting, now sculpture. How exciting is that? Um, yes. But so obviously I want that work to be seen in real life because there's no way that you can experience an eight foot painting on your phone, at least not all the way, right? You can experience parts of it. Um, so a gallery is definitely like, that's my open door to the public, Right. But it's also the other car, the potential sales and collectors that are going to come from hopefully that work being you know, purchased and then out into the world. So I think it can be really tricky being able to tell, is this gallery all about the sales or are they all about the art being seen and they're not going to work at all for the sales or are they doing both? So I think the best gallery is going to do both while also advocating for the future of your career and your work progressing. They're going to be, you know, there's like a million unethical galleries out there that are going to do things just for the sake of the gallery. And I think that those are galleries that more seem to talk to artists like they're doing you a favor, right? They're providing you with such great walls and that's it, <laughs> you know? And I definitely want more than walls. You know, you want that team to 
to work with you. Because I think really when you, when you show with a gallery, it should be a partnership. And if it's just temporary, it's just for that show, it's not representation, then that partnership should be strong for that period of time. And hopefully that turns into a relationship that then continues to blossom. And, you know, you kind of continue to be fans of each other's work, even if they're not representing you. Hopefully that comes out of it. In addition to a successful show that hopefully a lot of people got in the door and maybe hopefully some of the work also sold. I just think I, I worked with a handful of galleries that were very much one or the other. And it, I think it's easier when they're all about the art, right? They're all about getting people in the door. They're more concerned about making sure that you, like maybe like a curator is meeting with you and it's a challenging you know, body of work. They're trying to like push you in helpful directions. Um, I would, if I had to pick and choose, I'd rather that. But the problem is if they're not also trying to sell the work, but then kind of take 50%, that gets really tricky if it does sell. And then if they're not interested in more people coming in the gallery, I think that also gets really tricky because then they're just trying to match people's couches and sell the work in, a, in that kind of transactional retail way. And I feel like I worked with some galleries that were not even interested in why I was making the work I was making, um, which just doesn't feel as good as the whole picture. Yeah, do you feel like there have been um, shows where you've had to kind of take on more of that responsibility yourself when it comes to trying to sell the work or maybe manage the you know business end of putting on an exhibition? Yes, very much. And sometimes I feel like that works out because, you know, like I said, like you know your work best, you're your own biggest fan. Hopefully you can advocate for yourself mm-hmm. the most, but but that sometimes is really hard when it's a lot of work to do in addition to that you just made all of this work. Um, you know, and then that's especially challenging when you're then sharing 50%, which, so I, I think now I've really kind of tried to look for these galleries that, I mean, I do hope that in the future that I find a gallery, you know, or a gallery finds me, whatever combo that is down for that partnership, because I would love to be represented by a gallery that, that feels, you know, that is really like supporting artists and their careers and matching them with collectors, you know, that want to follow that journey too, because I think that can be really great. Um, but in the meantime, I, I have enjoyed working with galleries that trust the artist to also um, make sure that the, like any programming or the business side of things are what kind of fits with their work. I don't really know how I want to answer this question. Like my show that's up right now is is very much like a project gallery space. So the owner, <clears throat> it's a beautiful space. It's in her home. So the whole gallery is like the front portion of the house. And it's separate from her her home. But so in that way, it, it's all on the artist, um, which is a ton of work and a ton of investment to make it happen. You know, And then it's by appointment only. And those appointments are only when I am making them and unlocking the doors for people, um, which, of course, adds in like a whole other job for eight weeks or so. But I'm happy to do it because I want the work to be seen. And it, it yeah, kind of, I don't know, this is a hard question. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate your openness about this because it's something I'm really interested to hear more about um, because I haven't really shown my work with commercial gallery spaces at all. And the solo exhibitions I've had are with nonprofit art spaces. So it's really been about expanding the work and I haven't really relied or even viewed those as opportunities to sell work necessarily, but I have kind of looked at it as a chance to expand into new territory or create work that I 
then might be able to later sell. Um, and so that's sort of what the you know exhibition opportunities I've had have been like. And so I'm kind of really curious to hear you know how artists are navigating um, different types of relationships where you are sort of mixing the um, creative growth with the business end of running a gallery. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the way you put that is better. It's like I, I think I, I really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed the shows that I've done at nonprofit galleries or artist-run galleries mm-hmm. because I, I do think that they're working with you as the work is being made to make sure it is as strong as possible that, you know, that it's going to be a great show that you're going to love. And I've loved studio visits with curators from those kind of galleries. I, I think I've struggled more with commercial galleries, and I really, I really hope I can find and work with one in the future that, that really meets that relationship and partnership that I'm that I'm hoping for that kind of, you know, that mm-hmm. challenges the, the art car while supporting the business car and supporting the growth of everything. I think I've been burned a few times with commercial galleries and that makes me hesitant. And so I, yeah, I really feel like I'm, I'm waiting for a better fit. So yeah. So in the meantime, it's really nice working with artist run spaces or nonprofits or the space that I have my show now, that's a lot more on the artist, but in that way, the cars can kind of run how they need to run until because I would rather a lot of the times I would just rather run it myself or majority or with a team that you know is going to support that then versus I'd rather do that than with a gallery that you know is not really interested in growing those things um and I think the the times that I've been burned I think I didn't know it until I invited them to a studio visit along before the work was done and they weren't interested you know, or I put the work up and they didn't like where it had gone because it wasn't the exact same as the last show, which was like truly blowing the wind out of my sails um, as I cl- like had finished a whole body of work. So I really never want to feel that way again. But I also think when you kind of had those experiences, then, you know, when a staff at a gallery or even, you know, a gallery owner like isn't into your work or isn't isn't into that progression of your work, it's obviously they're not going to want to sell it as much, even though it's taking up the walls of their gallery for the next month, which is a unique and, you know, kind of painful experience, but I'm glad I have had it. Because I do think that, you know, there are great galleries out there that aren't a good fit for me, while I think there are great galleries out there that are. But I think we all just need to kind of pick and choose a little bit more so that it is. Yeah, it sounds like those experiences have really shaped, you know, your own view of what you're looking for and helps you to identify red flags earlier on, um, which I think when you're just starting out, it's really hard to do. And sometimes you just have to experience a lot of different things to kind of figure out what works for you and what's not going to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or even if like there are red flags and you still want to have a show at that space, you know, maybe that will then dictate like how much you know, how much like time and energy it's taken to, to, to make that show happen. Cause I think there have, there have also been shows I've done in spaces more like that. And, you know, they're more down for work that's already been shown. So it's going to, maybe it feels a lot different than, you know, a solo show that's like brand new work and, you know, you're super jazzed about it and want everyone to see it in the whole world um, versus, oh, hey, yeah, my work is up here. You know, it's some that's been seen before, some that's not. You know, so I think even like the figuring out the amount of like energy we put into things can also help navigate some of those experiences. Yeah. I want to make sure that we talk about Night Swim. Uh, now that we're 
getting close to the end, I can't not ask about your show. And how have you been problem solving working with new mediums and taking on a whole new way of making art and the the trial and error and expenses and figuring that that whole thing out? Yeah, well, it's been wild. And if you could give a little background for artists that are not familiar with your work. Yeah, so I have, a, I have a new solo show up at a gallery here in Baltimore called Project 1628. So Project 1628 is this project-based kind of gallery space. It's a beautiful white wall gallery um, in the, owner, the gallery owner's home. So it takes on like a whole different feel, which I love. But so it's, it's, it's big enough that it, so there are four, it's four large paintings, two medium-sized paintings, six smalls, and then I made three sculptures, which I've never made sculpture before. It's so exciting. Um, but so in all, it's like a pretty small body of work. Um, and so second time I've shown up this gallery. And I saw the first show. Yeah. And I, I love this space because it, you know, it really like, I just like the, si- the size of the body of work that it has space for. Um, so when I have a show, I tend to make work specifically for that gallery. So if this wall is, you know, however big, that's the size painting I'm making. Um, so I planned out all of the, you know, the size of the work before knowing that it would be in this gallery. Um, and so with that, I have been thinking about sculpture for a long time, kind of for like 10 years, and I never made it, um, partly because it was scary and... I don't know, there's always part of me of like, I need to know why I'm making it, you know, but I don't just make the work, Katie, and then figure it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so part of what kind of push, pushed me over the edge to do it was, hey, we're in a pandemic. Uh, you should do something that makes you happy <laughs> and uh, and will challenge you while like having no deadline ahead of you. So before long, you know, before I had any thoughts about this show, or, you know, it wasn't on the calendar, no, no thoughts about it happening. Um, I started filling pool floats with a variety of materials so that they would stay inflated. Pool floats kind of came about, you know, as a swimmer. I look at them as this playful thing that I, you know, I feel like I don't get to play with all that much because I'm usually in the water for a very different reason. Um, but with my work having, especially in the past, like having references to animals and, um, especially like kind of big, powerful, clumsy animals like bulls. I liked the relationship that pool floats bring to things where they're, you know, that it's like this thing that, you know, cause it's referencing an animal, but it's, you know, goofy looking and, you know, in the shape of an inner tube, you know, so I, I, don't know, I just, I love the, the play that it brings. But, um, so I knew I wanted to make, basically some like these masses out of pool floats. And originally I thought that they would be a little bit more abstract um, with maybe like an eyeball here and there. But as I started working with them, I just loved their little weird faces so much. Um, so I kept them in true form. But along the way, figuring out how to make them or what to fill them with or how to connect them, I truly just I like gathered my the community of artists around me and just kept asking questions to everyone that I knew maybe knew something about it or had worked with similar materials. And so kind of as I started playing around with those materials, then like the, the ideas for what the sculpture would look like in real life kind of started coming about. And I think the thing that I didn't 
remember about sculpture because really the only time I've ever made sculpture was like freshman year of Micah. Oh, yeah. You know, so like barely. <laughs> and the thing I forgot is like you can have all these great ideas. You can start working them out. And then there's like 5,000 more steps to actually make that thing successful in like structure. And like how do you build it so it doesn't fall over and murder someone? Or how do you build it so it doesn't like disintegrate? <laughs> or like, you know, mm. it's just, just a weird, interesting process. Um because painting, it's like once you have the canvas, and like it's kind of immediate, you know, and you can work on it for as long as you want. So I think from like some simple sculpture ideas came like giant, complicated ones. And then from that, I wanted to make a pool float out of concrete. So, and that was like, I really thought I was going to be taking them apart a lot more and abstracting them more. And then it came down to like, no, I want to have that exact pool float in a different material. So that meant making a mold or several molds and casting it, which I'd never done before. Um, so again, reaching out to artists around you as much as possible. Um, so I'm very thankful for like a ton of artists here in Baltimore, uh, especially that came to my studio and helped me problem solve, um, including Jeremy Jersa, who is an amazing Baltimore artist who like literally held my hand every step away through a concrete penguin pool float. <laughs> So that thing would not exist without Jeremy Dursa. So now that I've made three sculptures, um, which concrete was a brand new material, I mean, sculpture in general, brand new material, I really liked it. And I think I'd probably go a little crazy only working on sculpture. I feel like I need some more immediate rewards along the way. So it goes back to painting is my forever love and will always be. Um, I think I really, I just really enjoyed working on paintings and then you know, kind of checking a few things off the list with sculptures, because so much of it is just like procedural, you know, you can have these ideas and then, and then actually making that exist in real life is like so many steps along the way that you never even really see, you know, I mean, a lot of people at the, especially at the opening, asking me about my concrete penguin pool float that now exists and his name is Willie. Um, his nickname is Willie. <laughs> I nickname everything. Um, Yes. So many people thought I had just like filled a pool float with concrete, let it dry, and then it was there. And I was like, no, it took weeks to make, you know, <laughs> weeks more to like think of. And uh, it took years off my life. <laughs> so, oh, no. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoy the, uh, the problem solving, which is very, like problem solving a painting is very different because I feel like you can, try something it doesn't work try something else you know sculpture very much feels like you're trying things that might not work like if, if the if that penguin pool float didn't work if the mold was unsuccessful I would have had to start over it wouldn't have existed which is kind of wild so it's been yeah it's just been an interesting learning process I remember when you were sharing on your Instagram stories about working on that pool float Nicole and I we were both just like oh my God, have you seen, this is a commitment. It just looked so, like, just every step, I'm like, and there's more, and there's more, yes. and there's more. Commi like, I don't know how you figured it out. <laughs> well, commitment is, like, definitely the word. Because at some point, it's like, okay, we'll hope this works out. Here I am pouring, like, you know, 80 pounds of concrete into a mold. Hope it works. And even the moment that it didn't, it was, and also, like, I will give a shout-out to my dad, who's, you know, worked in concrete before with, like, building a deck and stuff like that. Um, 
so which was really fun problem solving with him, like sending him a photo of like, is it supposed to look like this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's drying. I was like, okay. But at the same time, he's never seen a pool float made out of concrete. So we're both like, I don't know what that's going to do, but we'll find out. (laughs) So, you know, it's just such a, I just, I loved how goofy it felt. I like, like I, and I always kind of say that, like, I try to remind myself that it's just painting, right? So when I'm problem solving, where I'm worried that like, oh, I've ruined it, you know, oh, it's just painting. I have loved the sentences that have come out of my mouth while make, while working on these sculptures, you know? Like, oh, what are you doing today? Oh, well, you know, I'm attaching the wings of a penguin pull float to its body, you know? What? You do what? <laughs> Your job is weird. Um, Correct. <laughs> so that's been really fun. <laughs> You know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, the, I have this, you know, in the show there's a sculpture that's, it's a concrete base, a square base that a tall pile of beach balls, squishy beach balls live on. The concrete base, by the way, weighs about 220 pounds. Oh my God. So that was a feat getting into the gallery. Um, but so then, then there's like a rebar pole in the middle and then all of those beach balls were kind of a hole put through and then sent down so that's what are you doing today oh I'm skewering beach balls I'm making a beach ball shish kebab you know <laughs> like <laughs> I love that sculpture gave me that sentence <laughs> yes so it's been a lot you of did such a great job of sharing that whole process on your social media too it was so fascinating to follow along so I feel like other artists should make sure to follow you on social media because you're really great about opening up your artistic process in addition to being transparent about all these other things we've been talking about. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed all the messages. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just would honestly respond of, I don't really know, <laughs> but we'll find out. <laughs> so I do, I always encourage people to, to ask questions because it was really, I mean, painting, when people ask me questions, I'm like, well, you know, this is kind of what I'm working towards and we'll see if it works. If not, I'll change the composition, you know, or whatever. But with sculpture, it was very much like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I have, I have more sculptures planned. So I'm, I'm really excited. So I'll definitely be sharing some uh, more weird pool float adventures. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I second the recommendation to follow Katie online because you are definitely one of my favorite follows. Um, I love the way that you share your work and the way that you talk about it and, yeah, as someone that knows you IRL, that's in real life for the youths that don't know that one or the olds <laughs> that don't know that one. I don't know. We're, we're somewhere in the middle. And be ready for so many dog photos if you follow me because both of my dogs make an appearance quite often. <laughs> they deserve it. I know. They're superstars. Um, before we wrap it up, are there any final thoughts that you have? Anything you wanted to share? anything we didn't talk about or mention and make sure to let the listeners know where they can find you online. We will share pictures with the episode of what we've talked about, but again, go look at Katie's work for real. And if you're in Baltimore, go look at it IRL if you can. Back to the question. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, really, I just, I want to encourage people to reach out and ask questions, whether that's to me or somebody else. Uh, I truly believe the more we all talk, the better it will be. I don't think that artists should be secretive or competitive in secretive ways, right? Uh, I think I think the more we talk, especially about the business car, right, the business side of things, I think the better things will be. I think that the more, you know, the more 
I sell, the more you'll sell, the more you'll sell, the more I sell. Like, I think it's just, and then, you know, and then I don't know, also just following artists, obviously, and reaching out and asking questions. Like last night, I I asked an, an artist that's working in concrete, like, how much does that weigh? How, how do you decide? you know, to make it that size, you know, like just, just reach, I don't, reach out. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. Um, so yeah. And if you're in Baltimore, come visit, but I truly believe the more that we share how our businesses run and how, how we're making the work we're making or, you know, nothing's off limits. Everything should be shared, you know, within reason, obviously you, you, you can keep things to yourself if you need to, but, um, I don't really. So <laughs> reach out anytime. <laughs> Yes, I love it. And where can listeners follow your work and, and find you online? They can find me online at kpumphrey.com. Follow me on Instagram, kpumphreyart, TikTok. I'm on there as well. Although, Ooh, if you are older, ask about that. you should follow and be nice because really it's all of the youths on TikTok that are incredibly mean. <laughs> so. Oh, more people should join TikTok. Um, no, I've, I've actually, joining TikTok has been such a hilarious um, experience because I I feel like on Instagram, people are kind of down to follow the making the work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like making those sculptures was like a year process. Uh, TikTok, they're all like, where's part two? Is it done yet? Like, this isn't satisfying at all. Skip! <laughs> so my, oh my favorite, God. my favorite follower on TikTok is a gal that I think she's probably like 13 or something. And she goes around and comments on most of my things and says to like anyone that's being really mean of like, what is this? You know, this is taking too long. Like, what is it? It's just, a, you know, she's just destroying pool floats. And then this, this girl goes around and says, uh, it's art, Becky. <laughs> so, I'm very thankful to that user. Thank you so much. <laughs> Oh my gosh, everything you're describing right now makes me feel like I should definitely not be on TikTok. That's why I just post. It sounds like the wild west. And then I get out of it. Because it's also also very addictive to just keep watching videos because I think it's figured out the algorithms. I want, like, you know, dogs skateboarding and turtles eating blueberries. I mean, I'm down (laughs) for that, but. (laughs) Oh, yeah, but I'm also on Facebook, Katie Pumphrey Art. You know, but really the the Instagram is my, my biggest one. So, uh, that's where I put most of my social media energy. So check that out. <laughs> and uh, come to Baltimore. It's a cool city. You'll love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie. I feel like there's so much more we could get into. It's always fun to have friends on the podcast. And you're someone who is so open and transparent about their entire journey on social media and in real life so it's really been exciting to get to bring you onto the podcast to have similar conversation but I feel like we're always just sort of you know getting into the tip of the iceberg so uh, for anyone that's listening make sure to follow Katie because again you're just so incredibly generous with sharing your knowledge and being really open about your artistic and creative career journey Um, So thanks again for sharing a little bit of that with us here today. Yeah, thank you. This has been awesome. I hope hope my answers were fun and interesting and helpful for other people. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. 
That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. 